With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. Big 12 preview time on the College Football Survivor Show. Tremendous guest today. Shahan's, yeah, Shahan's okay. <laughs> I'm not that good. Sam Khan Jr., he's legit though. Sam, senior writer at The Athletic. You've been covering like football in and around the state of Texas for many moons, right? Yeah, uh, 17 years. I think I started in 2005 covering high school football at the Houston Chronicle. Did that for about five years, then moved on to colleges in 2011, and then spent some time at ESPN and, and then joined The Athletic last year. But yeah, primarily my career has been centered around covering Texas football at some level, mostly high school in the early parts, colleges for the last 10. have done some NFL stuff, but it's not my favorite. So I, I really do like the little groove here of Texas college football. And guess what? When you have a dozen FBS teams and five power five teams, uh, that's that's plenty of ground to cover. And obviously it's a recruiting hotbed. So there's plenty, plenty to uh, chew on in, in this. I like to call Texas its own football ecosystem. Oh, I like that. And so within that ecosystem, here you are. You're this veteran journalist. You've been around the block. And here's this young whippersnapper on the scene, Shahan J. Haraja, coming up <laughs> through the ranks. What did you think uh, when you first met Shahan? No, good, good, enthusiastic, great attitude, uh, good reporter, uh, asked good questions. Uh, and he had a job that I was very jealous of because before I got my job at The Athletic covering Texas college football, I was covering you know, a little bit of everything for ESPN. You know, I was doing a little bit of Big 12. I was doing a little bit of SEC, a, a lot of state of Texas. But Chehan had the job. He had the, I, he was kind of, I, I jokingly call myself the text bird. Shehan was kind of that before I was because he was the college football reporter for tech, Dave Campbell's Texas football. And I'm like, that's the best job right there. That's the best job in the state is you cover Texas college football, which means you get to, canvas all these programs in the state but you also get to dabble a little bit in recruiting so and you get the best of both worlds because you get to sneak out on a friday night if you want to to see some recruits but you can also watch the guys who move on on sundays in the nfl and see how they do you know watch the patrick Mahomeses of the world so that's kind of the best of both worlds but but I, to me like i said college football here is is the passion for it is unparalleled so i thought he had the best job so i was very jealous of that and then i just when when i got to the athletic i was like can i just be this guy can I basically have the same job? And then he ran me out of town. Look at that. That's I know, right. I know. Because I don't care about, and no offense, I don't care about Ohio State. I don't care about Big Ten football or Pac-12 football. I really only care about what goes on in this part of the country. So that's the job I wanted. But no, Shehan is a good dude, has been a great friend. And uh, we. I, I always enjoy b- bouncing and running into him uh across the uh across the landscape across the state of Texas. I'm sure we'll see each other here in a few weeks at Big 12 Media Days. Definitely, definitely. All right. Let's dive in. We've done the ACC, we've done the Big 10. Sam doesn't care. Sam's like, I don't <laughs> That's right. That's right. Do not. Do not. 
Wake me, wake me when they play one of the Texas schools. <laughs> uh, we're, we're doing the, the SEC next. Sam's like, ah, yeah. Bama. When they play Texas in week two, Sam will care about Bama. And they play AM on October 8th, so that's the two times <laughs> I'll care about Bama. <laughs> Sam's like, Nick Saban, whatever, dude. They do they do recruit Texas, so, that's true. so I do have to care about them in they, that regard. They do take all of our players. Yes, that's correct. right. They do come in here and get some five stars, man. They do a good job. Ohio, I said what I said about Ohio State. Ohio State comes in and gets five stars out of Texas, too. Yeah, Jackson Smith and Jig. Yeah, is uh, making Ohio State go. Um, All right, so we are going to do like we did with the other ones. We'll do Heisman favorite, Heisman dark horse, playoff favorite, playoff dark horse, the spoiler, the game of the year. Let's start with talking about players, though, and let's start with talking about quarterbacks. When you run through the projected starting quarterbacks in the Big 12 this year, there's at least four that are transfers, maybe up to six, depending how some jobs get one. That includes JT Daniels at West Virginia, Dylan Gabriel. At Oklahoma, Quinn Ewers at Texas, Adrian Martinez at Kansas State. There's a lot of guys. Quinn Ewers didn't play much, but those other three guys have played a lot of football at other places. They have not played football in the Big 12, but they're going to have a really big influence, I think, on the shape of this race. Baylor is their own guy, but they have a new starting quarterback compared to last year. Sam, what do you think is the just sort of the level of quarterback play as we anticipate this Big 12 season? And is Dylan Gabriel going to be the best quarterback in Oklahoma, uh, the best quarterback in the Big 12, or could it be somebody else? That That's the thing. I think it's very up in the air. We're in a spot. We're not necessarily in the golden age of Big 12 quarterbacks like we were six, seven years ago. This is very much up in there. you got a lot of unproven guys. You, you mentioned Gabriel. Gabriel, I think, is proven for what he's done. It's just a matter of doing it in this conference and, and with this team. Uh, JT Daniels, obviously, at West Virginia, is going to be super intriguing. Uh I'm really intrigued by Blake Shapin at, at Baylor. Uh, certainly Quinn Ewers came with a lot of fanfare at Texas, and you watch the physical ability when you watch him play, and it's like it just it's eye-popping. I understand why he was the number one recruit. I think I think Gabriel's probably in the best situation because he has worked obviously with his OC before Jeff Lebby, and that makes the transition so much easier. So yeah, if 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 I were wagering today. I'd probably put a bet on on him as being the best guy, being the potential first team all conference guy because he's already got that chemistry with Jeff Levy. Uh, but but I will get, throw you a dark horse here, and it's kind of hard to pick which one. But whoever starts at Texas Tech is going to put some eye popping numbers out because we got Zach Kittley's offense now. Of course, again, there's a transition there to get used to. It, but Tyler Shuck or Donovan Smith or Baron Morton, whoever ends up those as that starter. If you watch what Zach Kittley did at eight, Houston Baptist, if you watch what Zach Kittley did at Western Kentucky. I'm betting whoever wins that starting job is going to probably get in the mix for a first-team all-conference bid out of the Big 12 because they're going to probably throw for 4,000 yards and 35 touchdowns. Shahan, when we did the ACC, all we did was talk about quarterbacks. Like, how do you see this quarterback conference shaping up in the Big 12? Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing that I'll mention is that uh, I was a year early on the tech thing. I last year we were like Tyler Shuck, that's going to be the all uh, all Texas first team guy. Now I think this is really the year where where somebody's going to throw for five thousand yards and and make everybody go crazy. Uh, definitely not the the strongest crop of quarterbacks like you mentioned, but the guy that I'll mention is Adrian Martinez. I, I think for so long at Nebraska. He was kind of asked to just be the offense, which seems crazy with the coaching staff that obviously made its hay, you know, coaching at Oregon. But uh, but I think that you go to Kansas State. First of all, the first thing that I love is that it's a much more structured situation. 
than what he had at Nebraska. Uh, obviously, Chris Kleiman and his staff dating back to their time at North Dakota State, what they did with Carson Wentz, what they did with Easton Stick. I think they did a great job with Skylar Thompson as well the last couple of years and getting him ready for prime time. Uh, and I think that now he's going to come in and be in a very structured situation. And next to somebody who I promise you we will get to later, Deuce Vaughn at running back, uh, one of the best players in college football, in my opinion. I, I think that that really has a chance to hit because Adrian Martinez is the most talented quarterback to play at Kansas State since, like, I mean, if we're talking talent, like Michael Bishop. Michael Bishop, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, like, all respect to Colin Klein. I don't think that, obviously, as a passer, he was uh, what Adrian Martinez is. So, like, he was a Heisman finalist, right? He was a Heisman finalist. He was a Heisman finalist. He was a Heisman. Very, very good. He he was a very – and also, he's going to be running that offense. So, uh, so Colin Klein's still around. Uh, but, yeah, so I, there are a lot of guys that I'm intrigued by. Definitely, I mean – West Virginia, like you talked about with JT Daniels, they've been looking for a quarterback so bad the past couple of years. And their offenses have been, I, I don't even have a word to describe how like bad they've been. They've been like frustratingly bad. Like you watch them play and you're just like, they've got some players, they've got some guys, but everything that they try to do seems like a bad idea. And so you kind of <laughs> wonder whether finally getting a, uh, you know, a relatively sure thing at quarterback in there can kind of pull everything together. But at the same time, it doesn't answer all the questions. The only there are only two quarterbacks in the Big 12 who have thrown more than 300 passes in the Big 12, led by Spencer Sanders at Oklahoma State. But like Adrian Martinez, Dylan Gabriel, JT Daniels, they've chucked the ball all over the place, just not here. So we've seen sort of the shift, um, the, you know, Transfers are everywhere, but they are really going to have an effect on this league. When we think, though, about Heisman contenders here, the odds I'm looking at, Bijan Robinson, 16 to 1, fourth favorite in the country, kind of behind the big three of C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Caleb Williams. Quinn Ewers at 20 to 1. There's That must be some kombucha money people betting on. <laughs> Quinn Ewers at 20 to 1. Holy kombucha. I still haven't I still haven't had any. I feel bad. I feel like I feel like the name image and likeness thing. I should be, oh no, he gets a deal, I'll drink the thing. So I'll that's on my list. Quinn Ewers went to my like rival high school, so I don't feel any need to make sure that he gets his bag. <laughs> but he got the bag. Now I'm just trying to look out for the company. The company gave the money. I want them to make a buck on if you're going to South Lake Carroll, your family already got the bag, right? <laughs> you're all good. You're all good. Trust me. We know. <laughs> I'm just looking out for soft drink companies. Thank goodness. <laughs> That's what I'm here to do. I mean, I drink 17 Diet Cokes a day. I should drink something else sometimes. Who is the best? Dylan Gabriel's like 30 to 1. That's like tied for 13th in the odds. Shahan, who's the best? Heisman candidate in the Big 12 this year? So I think that when you talk about Heisman candidates, you need to obviously think about quality of player, but I think that you also need to talk about quality of story. And if Texas is really good, I mean, B. John Robinson's going to get a lot of credit for that. He obviously is a known commodity. He maybe could have been a Heisman contender last year if he didn't get hurt. I, I think he could have been among the top five guys. Uh, and that was on a team that was five and seven. That was on a team that was very bad. Now I think this year, 
as you know, I, I'm not I'm I'm not uh, setting the world on fire with my Texas takes, but uh, but I think that they could win eight or nine games, and I think that if they're very improved and Bijan Robinson, I, I mean the thing that I love about Bijan Robinson is that he is a different kind of running back, right? Like he is the kind of running back that even NFL teams will look at and be like, well, I, I, we could maybe use one of those, <laughs> I, I, you know, which it's it's rare these days to find a running back that I think that everybody universally takes seriously but but when he's got it going he has that kind of load i'd encourage anybody to go watch the fourth quarter of the tcu game last year where he just basically carried them to the finish line it was insane uh so i think that he's gonna have the most ridiculous numbers i think he's a universally known name relatively speaking in heisman circles and i i think that if Texas is just pretty good, like the funny thing about them going five and seven is that uh, I think that that does in, in the mind of people who maybe know some stuff, maybe does set the bar a little lower than what it could be heading into mm. year two, even though obviously they're the big 12 favorites right now, according to the odds makers. Brilliant, brilliant by Sark to come in in year one and lower the bar and then be like, <laughs> oh, now, now in year two. He's running the Dave Aranda, man. It's a smart move. Yeah. Or the Matt Rule. <laughs> or the Matt Rule. I, I know a whole lot about that. But uh, it, it's. Uh, I, I think that if they go and they win eight or nine games and they pick off Baylor or Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, one of these teams, and one of those teams is rolling, and Bijan has a huge game against one of the good defenses, I think that that's probably the pathway for uh, for a player from the Big 12 to win the Heisman. It's a quarterback award. It's become that. But – he has a chance to be like the representative of running backs in the country that just the way he plays the NFL talk that he's going to get last year, he dislocated his elbow against Kansas and in game 10 ends his season in that TCU game. You referenced, he carried 35 times for 216 yards, his nine other games. He averaged 18 carries for 101 yards. I say that only because I think there's room for him to get even a little more of a workload you look at Kenneth Walker the third last year, averaged 22 carries per game. Brees Hall averaged 21 carries per game. Sean Tucker from Syracuse, 21 carries per game. He he was such a workhorse, as you mentioned, Shahan, but they didn't overwork him. You look at his other, it's like, oh, I had 15 carries here, 17 carries here. He's physical enough. He could get 23 carries every week if they want to. Sam, is he like is how good do you think Bijan Robinson is? And do you think that there's a legit pathway to him? for him to be in this Heisman conversation. Yeah, they, to, to echo off Shahan, I, I think Texas has to be at least an eight or nine win team for that to happen. I mean, that's just the reality. You you can't be a six and six or probably even a seven and five team and him be in that race. But I, I think that's feasible for Texas. I think to me, they've done enough personnel wise. I still would like to see them improve up front on the offensive line. And a lot of that's going to be determined by what they get here in the summer with these six freshman offensive lineman they get you know how much improvement is that going to give them you know how much better they're going to get as run defense that's all team stuff but to me when you watch like and, and I was at Red River last year when when they played Oklahoma when you watch him play and when you watch him cut and accelerate he's just different he's different from everybody else and I get it's again you you get why he was a five-star when he came out I, I do think I do think if they if they get to eight nine wins I do think he can be in the very thick of the Heisman race because Sark and he made no bones about it last year. And I don't think he'll make any bones about it this year. That is the centerpiece of the offense. B. John Robinson is integral to what they do. You mentioned the carries. Yes, it was a little bit, not necessarily 20 carries all the time, but they threw him the ball a lot. He he ended up averaging 22 touches a game on offense. And he may factor in probably not a ton, but could be a factor in the return game from time to time. They do have other options there that they like, uh, but, but, 
between throwing the ball, lining them up in the slot, handing them the ball a bunch of times. And they don't have to hand it to him 15, I mean, uh, 20, 22 times because they've got Roshan Johnson and uh, Keelan Robinson, Jonathan Brooks. They're really, really deep. That's the deepest position they have right now is running back. But they'll throw him the ball, and he is going to be the centerpiece off him and Xavier Worthy. That, that That's going to be the two big weapons in this offense, just like it was a year ago. It's just a matter of taking some pressure off of him with your Isaiah Nayers of the world and, uh, like I said, the other backs that I mentioned. So I do think, to me, if I'm putting money today, yeah, I'm putting it on Bijan just because his pure talent, man. Like, and, and the thing is, is like you said, it's a quarterback award and it's also a team award to a certain extent. But to me, I feel like as a voting block, we're moving more into recognizing the individual talent. Do some people still kind of, oh, let's give it to the best quarterback on the best team. Yeah, but I feel like with the surge for Aiden Hutchinson last year, Will Anderson, even though he didn't get as many votes as I thought he should have, uh, you know, Devontae Smith the year before, I feel like we're getting closer as a college football group of observers to just basically giving it to the best player. And to me, Bijan is one of the best players. I think he averaged 142 yards from scrimmage per game. I think only three active FBS players average more than him uh, that are returning this year. So I think, I think he's definitely one of the best. And, and to, to just quickly mention Quinn Ewers, cause you talk about story. I mean, people are going to be bending over backwards to throw themselves into, uh, into this conversation. The issue that I think that, that he'll run into is I think for a quarterback, you're really judged on team success, right? Like I think mm-hmm. as another position group, you are, but like, again, I think that I think Texas could go nine and three and Bijan rush for 2000 yards and him have a chance to win it. I think that Texas not only has to win the Big 12, but like probably has to at least be right on the edge of the college football playoff for Quinn Ewer's story to like come through enough for him to win it. Uh, now, if if you if this was a like dark horse case, if, if Quinn Ewer's had dark horse odds, then like that's an interesting case. Quinn Ewers doesn't have dark horse odds. He's right up there with some of the favorites, uh, just like every Texas thing ever, of course. But uh, but I, I do think that it's not a ridiculous pick, I think, to think of Quinn Ewers, but I, I just think that the bar is going to be so high for him to be able to win it. So if we all kind of agree that Bijan's probably the best candidate, I do think both Bijan Robinson and Quinn Ewers, Texas doesn't have to beat Alabama in week two, but they have to look good. They can jumpstart a real candidacy by ripping off a big run, drop a couple highlights, do something. You don't want to look like Will Anderson ate your lunch and then be like, oh, I'm a Heisman candidate. So that's, <laughs> right. that will be important for that. But in terms of like a dark horse, 30 to one, it's a guy we already talked about. I, I think Dylan Gabriel qualifies as this. And Sam, you sort of mentioned that we're getting away from it a little bit, but best quarterback on the best team is still a pretty healthy way to get in the Heisman conversation. Like he, he could be that. Right. He's he's a quarterback for a playoff team like a Kenny Pickett kind of thing. Like, you know, we're always looking for the Joe Burrow kind of story like Dylan Gabriel has to be in that conversation at 30 to one. I might throw a couple bones on that because, Sam, as you said, he's got his offensive coordinator. He's been a good college quarterback. There's a path there, right? Yeah, I agree. No, I think I think if, if I were picking a dark horse guy. Out of this conference, he's the one. And I think it's because all the things you said. The, the relationship with Levy, that's a good offense, and this is a talented team. You know, despite of everything that's happened in the offseason, this is still a talented team. This is still a team that's going to contend for the Big 12 championship. And if you're in that race, if you're in that game, 
then you you're going to be in the mix if you're Dylan Gabriel. Then you've you've had a great season probably at that point, and, and you're going to have a chance to play your way onto the ballot for some people. So I, I think there's no question that that he's got a chance here if if things go right uh, early on for him. Shahan, any other dark horse that you would like instead? Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to something that I said earlier. So so to to set this up. Um, so do you guys remember like in like 2013 when Steph Curry had that series against the Spurs where he just went crazy every third quarter and scored like 20 points every third quarter and and like the Warriors nearly upset the Spurs. You guys remember that? That was like nine years ago, boss. Let's say that we do. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember at the time I'm like, wow, Steph Curry's really good, but like if he's going to become like, cause people were like, Oh, he's like, he's got next sort of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but he'd have to do that like literally all the time. And I'm like, that doesn't seem reasonable. Right. And then he did. <laughs> and all this to say, that's exactly what I thought about Deuce Vaughn at Kansas state. I'm like, to, in order for him to be who we think he's going to be, he's going to have to have like 1400 rushing yards and 500 receiving yards. And that's not going to happen. Everybody's going to game plan for him. And then he did it. He had 18 touchdowns uh, on the ground last year, four through the air. He is the best player that nobody talks about. Best pound for pound player in the country. Yeah. Five, six, 172 down from uh, from Round Rock, Texas, just outside of Austin. He is ridiculous. Like he was he wasn't much of anybody coming out of, uh, out of high school, was a star as a true freshman. Obviously, last year, I mean one of the best players in the country uh, like he is ridiculous and his numbers would have to be insane for him to truly get into this conversation but his numbers were insane last year yeah he, he had he had 1900 uh yards from scrimmage last year that's crazy and 22 touchdowns and i think the thing that's going to help him out more this year though is again i mentioned adrian martinez as somebody who i think could really hit this year if kansas state it, it's a dark horse but that's the point this is a dark horse if Kansas State got into the Big 12 championship game, which I think is not impossible, I think that Deuce Vaughn would get a whole lot of credit for that, as he should. And again, if he has 1,600 rushing yards and 500 receiving yards and 20 touchdowns, he's probably not going to win the thing, but I think he could get a lot of attention for it. No, I, I love that pick. I think I think that's a really, really good one because he is he he may be he's right there with Bijan, I think in terms of just his value to his team and, and the production that he'll bring. So no, I, I love that pick with Deuce. 80 to one in the odds that I'm looking at right now for Deuce Vaughn and man, wait until I slap that Steph Curry, Deuce Vaughn comparison on the headline <laughs> of this pod. Shahan, every sports radio station in Manhattan, Kansas is going to be calling you man. <laughs> I, I've already, uh, I, I, I didn't quite say this on it, but I did make a Kansas radio appearance like two weeks ago and they wanted me back like five days later. So I, I think that I'm uh, building some fans in the state of Kansas. Big on the streets of Kansas. Okay. We will take a quick break here on the college football survivor show. When we come back, playoff team most likely dark horse will do it next after this don't miss the college football survivor show bonus episode this week available only on apple podcasts so this is like the beginning of tom osborne's incredible run right so yep. in 1986 they finished number five in the country they go five six ten eleven twenty four fifteen fourteen then three one one six two so like they are a legitimate national program at this point and at this point they are a program if you told nebraska fans as they walked out of top gun that when the sequel came out they were going to be three and nine 
Right. I don't think they'd be very pleased. The 10 year period, 1976 to 1985. So the 10 year. So Top Gun comes out in the summer of 86. You haven't yet had the 86 football season. Best record in that 10 year period. Number one's BYU. Number two's Nebraska. Number three's Oklahoma. So it's one of those things like, what's the difference between Nebraska and Oklahoma? And now here we are 36 years later, and one of those programs is still incredibly relevant nationally, and one is not. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts for exclusive College Survivor Show bonus episodes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Doug Maurice back with Shahan J. Haraja and special guest Sam Khan Jr. of The Athletic talking about the Big 12, our playoff preview here in the middle of summer. Most likely playoff team from the Big 12. Just a note. It's one of these things. Sometimes you do a podcast. It's like, everybody knows this. Why are you saying it? The Big 12 is the only Power Power 5 conference that has only ever sent one team to the playoff. That Oklahoma has gone four times. Nobody else from the Big 12 has ever gone. The Pac-12 has sent Oregon and Washington. The ACC sent Florida State in the first year and then Clemson. The Big Ten has sent Ohio State and then Michigan State. Michigan and the Beach made it once. And the SEC has sent Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. In the Big 12, it's been Oklahoma or nobody. How dare you? Cincinnati just made it. I know. They don't think it count yet. I also don't want to watch 1996 Nebraska highlights on the Big Ten Network, okay? You are in your <laughs> conference you're in, and then when you change, then we can talk. I swear, they are going to – if they're – the Big 12 is going to start hanging Cincinnati playoff banners. It's going to make my <laughs> head explode. <laughs> and Oklahoma ones, by the way, after Oklahoma. I know. It's, uh, <laughs> the, the SEC is going to be like, oh, a four-time SEC playoff team, Oklahoma. It's like, no. So. <laughs> <laughs> SEC, uh, yeah, SEC legend uh, Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. It'll be great. Oh, remember the remember when the Boz was just ripping up the SEC and it's like, no, <laughs> that doesn't. You don't bring the catalog with you. That's not how it works. Who's the most likely playoff team from the Big Twelve this year, Sam? <sighs> this one's tough. I, it's gonna. I'm probably gonna say something that I think a lot of people don't necessarily agree with, but. I think Baylor's going to win the conference. And if Baylor's going to win the conference, then to me, they're the most likely playoff team because the, the only shot of the Big 12 has of getting a team in is is having a conference championship. They're not in an SEC position where you can get a second team in that doesn't doesn't win the conference. So I think Baylor, you know, they they, they were very close last year. And yes, they lost, you know, they're changing starting quarterbacks. They lost some receivers. They lose Terrell Bernard and Jalen Petrie. But boy, they bring back a ton on the line of scrimmage. They bring back four or five starting offensive linemen. They bring back virtually their entire two deep on the defensive line. They added an impact guy there in Tulsa transfer Jackson player. I think they're going to have to figure some of the other parts out, but boy, I, 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 to me, they're the favorite to win the big 12 just because of what they have coming back on the line of scrimmage. And and you also have your coordinators coming back. That stability, I think is going to go a long way. Uh, so, so to me out of this conference, I think Baylor's the team. Blake shaping a quarterback that adds to the chances of Baylor winning the big 12 or makes it a little more uncertain given the fact that he unseated last year's starter in the spring. 
I mean, to me, it t- it tells me if they were willing to make that change, if they were willing to to bench Gary Bohannon, who led them to that you know twelve win season last year, then to me that and we saw flashes of shape. We saw him in the Big Twelve Championship game. I thought he played well, and and you know he finished the season against Texas Tech fairly well. I think what he does is he gives the offense a higher ceiling. Mm. Uh, like Bohannon, I thought the way Grimes used him was masterful in terms of the way he used both his his throwing ability and his ability to run. You guys remember that Oklahoma game? He really, really hurt Oklahoma on the ground, moving the chains and in the red zone. Uh, Shapin is think I think is going to give their downfield passing game a little higher ceiling, just because. And Grimes, I think, would tell you. You ask him, is he? he I think the the moxie and the kind of carefree gunslinger type mentality that he plays with kind of probably reminds Grimes a little bit of Zach Wilson, a little bit. Like, not to say that Chapin is Zach Wilson, but that's the kind of attitude that he'll play with. That's the kind of way he'll throw the ball. And I think with that, just what they have up front, I think I think they got a, a real real chance to be special offensively and to take it another level. They got to find another Abram Smith, certainly, but I think with who they've got coming back and, and they've got, a, they, I think they would like to have, you know, some more experienced receiver, but, but they, but with that line, the tight ends and, and shaping who's got some experience, I think, I think they're in good shape. That your team, Shahan, you got somebody else. Yeah. Well, so, so obviously we did our four playoff teams uh, at like, you know, back in March or whatever. And you picked Baylor to make the playoff. Sam, now you're picking Baylor to win the Big 12. I, as the Baylor guy, am just not ready to do it because <laughs> I, I think I don't want to saddle them with that kind of expectation. I don't know what it is. Uh, I, I think that I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. I can't, I can't quite get there. I think they have a really good chance to be playing in the Big 12 championship game. I, I do. We're going to learn a lot about them week two against BYU. They go on the road. That's going to be one of their tougher games of the year, in my opinion. Uh, they got Oklahoma. They got Texas. I, I think it's going to be an interesting test to see that. But but Sam's right. They've got the best trenches in the Big 12, and I don't think it's that close, uh, just with all the people that they bring back. I mean, he mentions bring back four or five offensive linemen. Like, the fifth guy that they brought back was, like, a part-time starter for them, right? Like, so they bring back basically every key contributor uh, on the offensive line. They bring back everybody on the defensive line. It's going to look different this year. This past year, it was a very secondary-heavy team and linebacker-heavy team. This year, I think that you're kind of hoping that they look more like the Matt Rule 2019 team where the defensive line dominates and gives everybody else a chance to grow up. So they absolutely have a chance. But you mentioned it off the top, Doug. Uh, nobody from the Big 12 Conference other than Oklahoma has made the playoff. Until that happens, it's hard for me to pick against them. I think it could be a little bit of a rocky year, right? Like, I think that it could be a little bit of a transitionary year. Uh, one thing that I'm very curious to see is with Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy coming in. The funny thing about it is that, uh, you know, I, in the Big 12, right, like this wave of offenses hit literally. 15 years ago, right? I mean, Jeff Levy coached in the Big 12 more than six years ago. And so, like, the Big 12 is kind of built to stop it. Mm. I'm curious to see how that transition works. It's going to be very different, I think, than the AAC4 uh, for Dylan Gabriel. And it's going to be very different, I think, also than the SEC in a lot of ways uh, relative to, to Jeff Levy. But you look at the talent that they've got. I think Marvin Mims is going to be one of the best receivers in the league. I think defensively, they have a chance to improve quite a bit. It's it's hard for me to 
pull apart what part of it is Oklahoma, what part of it is Lincoln Riley, what part of it is roster, what part of it, you know, it's it's hard for me to pull those things apart. But until somebody beats Oklahoma to the playoff, they're probably going to be my pick. I would just like to note that was on March 23rd when we did our early playoff picks. And as a disclaimer, anything previously said on this podcast does not necessarily apply to the current discussion. So I'm not going to stay with my Baylor pick that I made in March because I do agree on Oklahoma. I think that they have a chance, you know, they had Spencer Rattler and Caleb Williams last year and they have a pretty good chance for their quarterback play in 2022 to be better than it was in 2021 because it was so erratic and they changed quarterbacks last year. They lost a couple of receivers in the transfer portal, but Marvin Mims is legit. And Theo Weiss, who was hurt basically all last year in 2020, those are their two leading receivers. It'll be their two leading receivers this year. They have six transfers in their two deep on defense. They had five guys who made any kind of all big 12 defensive team last year. All five of them are gone. But they've brought in a lot of bodies, and Brent Venables is as, as good as it gets on the defensive side of the ball. It's patchwork, but you can see how it might work. So it's not a super convincing case. We haven't talked about Oklahoma State, but I think you can throw them in there. We haven't talked about Texas yet in these terms. You can, you know, I think there's a race, Sam, right? That I don't know. There's anybody like pounding the table saying, like, boom, it's over. That's the team, no doubt about it. This could be like a really interesting big 12 in the top half of the conference right yeah no doubt I, I think that's the interesting thing to me in my mind there is a divide between baylor oklahoma oklahoma state and the rest of the group and to me the rest of that group needs to prove that it can crack in but that's not to say that the divide is so much that a kansas state can't crack in or a, a texas can't crack in or tcu even to a certain degree um i just to me those teams are all going to have to prove it to me before I consider them in the mix for the Big 12 championship. I look at that that trio of Sooners, Cowpokes, and Baylor as the three that that are the safe bets to to be in in playing in Arlington in, in December. So that that's to where I feel. But but I do feel that the conference is, there's a there's not so much separation from them that it's out of the question that if you know Texas catches fire if they beat OU in Red River then maybe they can get in the mix or like Shayon said with Kansas state earlier, who knows, you know, with Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn, I, I, I think, I think it's not out of the question, but I, I would definitely call it unlikely. So let's do dark horse. Then if we think that's the top trio, who, who could come from off the radar? Who's the best dark horse playoff candidate in this conference, Shahan? I think that, uh, so, so I come down to two teams. One of them, like you said, I would consider more of a dark horse, but like the issues is that Vegas doesn't, right? Texas is the favorite to win the league. That, are you? Sh- that's real. That's real. That's a real thing that sports yes. are. It's just everybody in Austin making a beeline. That's that doesn't. Is well, that- yes, probably. I, I mean, look, listen. Do you understand how much money has moved into Austin in the last year? It is impossible to buy a house, and they're spending all of their discretionary income <laughs> on Texas stock. But, but uh, no, I mean, I, I think that there's a pathway for them, right? I mean, I spend all my time, you know, crapping all over Texas and and them having a chance to win the league, but like. There's a very legitimate path that things work out, right? That Quinn Ewers hits. I mean, the, Quinn Ewers is ridiculous from a physical perspective. I remember watching the the 2019 state champ, or was it 2020? No, it was 2020 when they when he played against Cade Klubnik. And Cade Klubnik is the number one quarterback in the class of 2022. 
And like they were just different people, man. Like Quinn Ewers was a man, <laughs> and Quinn e- and Kate Klubnik is really, really good. But like Quinn Ewers is like, oh, there's Joe Montana over there, right? Like he he has that kind of physical talent. Now he hasn't done it against a defense, <laughs> you know, at the collegiate level. It's it's a completely different story. But like, there's a chance that, that hits. So there's a chance that some of these receivers hit. There's a chance that some growth on defense is enough and maybe Pete Kwiatkowski as defensive coordinator kind of evolves, especially with Gary Patterson in his ear. Like there's a pathway for sure where everything kind of works out, but that's the issue is that I think everything has to work out for them to really move into this group. And so for me, they're a dark horse. They're not like a real contender. Uh, And the other team is Kansas state who we've obviously talked about a lot. I, I think that there's a chance that if some things hit right, right. I mean, they, they're on the short list of teams that I think arguably you could make a case that Kansas State has the best offensive and defensive player in the league. It's not necessarily one that I'd make, but Deuce Vaughn is up there with the best offensive players in the league. And uh, and they've got a defensive end over there whose name escapes me right this sec. Uh, it's Felix Anadike Uzoma, I believe is his name. He's awesome. Defensive end. Yeah, he's awesome. Outside of players named Will Anderson, he is the leading power five sack returner in college football. He had 11 sacks last year. So he is really good and, and has the chance to be at the end of the year, big 12 defensive player of the year. And if you've got the best offensive and defensive player in the league, you're going to give yourself a chance. And I think that Kansas state might have that. So I didn't believe you when you said that Texas is the favorite, but I just Googled it. I'm reading this story. 2022 Big 12 championship odds picks. Texas favorite to win title, but Baylor, Kansas State have most value by Shahan J. Haraja on May 30th on CBS. <laughs> so you could this could be a, a great con that's like you you write it. Then you come on a podcast and say it and you just make it be true. Why else do you think they let me come on the show? It's just the it's the gospel of Shahan, whether it's true or not. So I'm citing you to back up you, Texas (laughs) plus 175, Oklahoma plus 200, Oklahoma State four to one, Baylor six to one. So I guess, Sam, it it is hard to call the betting favorite a dark horse, but I'll allow it. They're my dark horse, too. Do you have a different dark horse, Sam, as a playoff candidate here? To me, the 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 playoff candidates have to come out of the top three I mentioned. I cannot. Even though I think those guys you mentioned, Texas and K State, as potential dark horses in the conference, I, I don't see them as potential playoff candidates. To me, I cannot buy in on Texas until they show me something with that offensive line and they show me something with their run defense against Alabama. By the way, exactly, and they got hmm. Alabama in week two. Let's not act like we don't know how that's going to probably end up. If, if if it happens to be that Texas plays like they did against LSU in 2019. In week two, then that could be a catalyst for them, and maybe they are in the conversation. But right now, until I see some significant improvement up front on both lines of scrimmage for Texas, I cannot buy into them as a conference champion, a potential conference champion. To I, I think it's awesome what they've done in the portal, adding receivers, adding newers. Uh, they they even went to the FCS ranks and got a linebacker to, to address the position there, Demonte Tucker Dorsey from James Madison. All great additions, but. The, the hay is going to be made at the line of scrimmage uh, in, in in run in pass pro and in run defense, and so that that to me is the big question for them. It, it, to me, and we go back to the team we haven't talked a lot about the dark horse to make the playoff is funny enough a team that was very close to doing it last year is Oklahoma State. And and apologies to the Oklahoma State fans because I think we started this this discussion about who could be the best quarterback in the Big 12. And it wasn't it Spencer Sanders that finished first-team all-conference last year, and he's still around. That, that was the thing that happened. Yeah, so, so, so 
respect to Spencer Sanders. He's back for another year and you know, coming off first team all conference. And yes, they lost a few, but they've got some intriguing talent. You know, Colin Oliver, I really love the way he broke out as a freshman last year. Uh, and this is a program that has been a consistent winner for, and they've been consistent contender. And I feel like Oklahoma State is one of those teams that when nobody's talking about them and there's not a lot of expectations on them, those are the years that they seem to come pop them and get you. And last year was one of those years. Uh, there's going to be a lot of discussion about Baylor. There's going to be a lot of discussion about Oklahoma with all the changes over there, obviously Texas because of all the transfers. But Oklahoma State, to me, if, if you're picking a, a dark horse to make the playoff out of this conference, I think it's probably the Pokes. Is losing Jim Knowles like enough of a reason to, to not – think the same way about Oklahoma State when we did uh, a podcast a little bit ago about the most important people in the playoff race Jim Knowles as the Ohio State defensive coordinator was very high on our list or you know they get Derek Mason Gundy's still in charge they have a, a, the way they want to do stuff Sam like you know Jim Knowles is good so is Derek Mason they'll be okay yeah I mean it, it's certainly not that cut and dry just because when you when you go through a, a coordinator change and there's there's always going to be differences whether it's in scheme terminology even if it's subtle it's going to take time so so there's time there but Derek Mason I think there, there's no question to me about his defensive chops I think he's been a strong defensive coordinator where he, wherever he's been a good defensive coach and uh, I, I think you you could to me you couldn't have done much better than Derek Mason in, in finding a replacement for Jim Knowles so to me I don't really worry about them that much and I think uh, like I said everything else they've done there they've done a great job of recruiting uh overlook talent and developing that that talent and, and to make them you know all big 12 caliber guys so I, I think to me they're they're set up really really well yeah my big question with them is I, I don't really question them so much about uh coaching or any of that stuff right I mean Derek Mason is as good of an addition as you're ever gonna make at defensive coordinator my question with them is in the secondary Right. I mean, they lost a lot from a unit that really defined that team in a lot of different ways. Right. I mean, they obviously played a three safety unit uh, with the with Jim Knowles there. I expect that they're going to play a lot of that still. They lost some key cornerbacks, they lost some key safeties. That's kind of my big question is who kind of steps up into that role. Uh, you know, defensive line is probably going to be the place where you expect to see them grow even more. Obviously, I, like you mentioned, Colin Oliver. I mean, if we're talking about best defense players in the league. Stud. Yeah. He's gonna be uh, he, he's gonna be somebody who by the end of the year might be an All American, and uh, so you know they've got guys. The question is, if last year it was that they were like the number three defense in all of college football, arguably, and were like okay offensively, and now I think they probably have to be good offensively, and you know. You bring back an all Big 12 first team quarterback, I suppose. Uh, so, you know, you give yourself a chance. That was the meanest way anyone has ever said first team all conference. Put some respect on my man, offensive coordinator Casey Dunn. Yes, yes. He was very good. He's very good. But a, a big part of how, how he was good last year was he was like, let's make Spencer Sanders not have to do very much. And let's literally use this like five, seven running back as a battering ram to just like <laughs> clear the way and then play uh, throw some play action and that running back is gone now because he just disintegrated after being used that much but they were they were a yard they were six half a foot from getting possibly getting to the playoff bubba they were very very close they were they were so they, 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 they're in a they're a good program and they're in good shape. they're a very good program i think that they will they'll be a 10-win team this year which i mean 
again, we we talk about Mike Gundy quite a bit on this program because we're big fans. I don't think he gets enough credits uh, for for what he is because I think that he's elevated. We actually had this conversation a little bit yesterday. He's elevated this program to the point where you don't realize or think about the fact that they are very much a have not program because of what he's done there. So they'll be right in that conversation. I I agree. I think that that top three group is going to be really intense. All right. So then when we try to think about the big 12 game, that's going to matter the most for the playoff picture. You know, if you, if you think Texas can at least not get blown off the field by Alabama and if they have any kind of, I I said, if I said, if, Then maybe you think, right, Red River in October, like, hey, Texas, Oklahoma, that could be interesting. Is Texas possibly for real? But, Shahan, I mean, the way we've been talking about stuff, maybe that's not the game that you guys think is going to matter the most. Which one do you think matters the most, Shahan? I'm going to point to uh, the team that I did not pick to make the playoff, and and you guys did. Uh, I'm going to point to that Week 2 game. Baylor versus BYU. They go on the road. Mm. BYU, I think, is going to be a legitimate top 15 team, and one thing that you've seen from uh, from teams getting into that playoff mix, I'd point to like Oregon last year. You know, it, when a team has a legitimate, like big time non conference victory, it can make their path a lot more manageable. And on top of that, I think it can really elevate the league as well, uh, especially I think in a league like the Big Twelve. I mean, again, you don't really have to do that in the Big Ten or SEC, but in the other leagues, I think that can be a really big deal. Actually, I'd even point to uh, UCLA beating a not very good LSU last year. You know, they jumped up into the top fifteen, and then all these uh, all these Pac twelve teams were able to get top fifteen victories because UCLA was kind of propped up. I, I think that Baylor, if they go on the road and beat BYU, I expect BYU to be a preseason top 15 type team. Uh, to go on the road and do that, I think would put them right into that top seven, top five conversation if you're Baylor. Uh, and I think that that wouldn't just be huge for Baylor, who then I think would legitimately be able to sustain a loss. And if they go 12 and one, they would make the playoff. Uh, but I think that it also would be a huge opportunity for the rest of the Big 12 as well. If Oklahoma State beats a top seven Baylor, if if Oklahoma beats a top seven Baylor, I think that that just helps raise the league in general. And again, I, I really look at some of these non-conference games, especially from the maybe three more have-not leagues. Uh, when you have an opportunity to do that, I think that's a huge deal. Very excited for the Big 12 banners to be hanging on both the Baylor and BYU sidelines in that game. Yeah. What a great conference we, we game. To, uh, yeah, the Big 12 gets to win no matter what. How that's about right. that? The Big 12 wins no matter what. <laughs> I will say, and just to note, again, last year when UCLA beat LSU, and some people said, ooh, what a good win. Shahan was on this podcast saying, it doesn't matter because LSU stinks. So Shahan was all over that. And and, and uh, I will say the same thing, uh, you know, when we get to the Pac-12 show and we talk about uh, Utah, Florida. It's a perfect opportunity to beat a name brand program and get the credit for beating a name brand program without actually having to be a truly name brand program. It's, it's a very good point, because, again, that that early sort of perception based on those early wins, o- Oregon hung around in the playoff picture all year. Because they beat Ohio State in week two. And even when it was like, is Anthony Brown one of the 85 best quarterbacks in college football? It's like, but they beat Ohio State. They still deserve to be in the picture. And I was one of the people shouting that. So uh, one of the things, Sam, that that is hard and and more and more conferences want to go to this by getting rid of divisions. I mean, you you obviously could look at Oklahoma Baylor on November 5th and be like, well, if those are the two teams that we're picking – 
as the two best teams in the conference, then their game must be the most important game. But also there seems like a pretty decent chance that they'll rematch in the Big 12 title game. And not that it makes the regular season game irrelevant, but you can lose it and survive if you've done your work the other week. So then how do you view that? What do you think is the most important game for the playoff race? Yeah, that that to me, obviously, those those I think are the two favorites. And so that that obviously is natural. But you're right. It, it, you can redeem yourself in, in Arlington if you take care of business. So to me, there, there are three games in, in this equation that are the most important. It's Red River uh, because that that to me, obviously, for OU, is it's a must win if you're going to win the conference. It, if you're Texas, if you're going to be in the conversation, then you have to win that game. Uh, it's Baylor, Oklahoma on November 5th for, for the reasons we stated. And it's Bedlam uh, because if Oklahoma State's going to be in that mix, then, you know, last year, obviously, Bedlam was was the catalyst for them getting into the, into the Big 12 championship. So those are the ones for me. And I, I guess I probably will lean towards Bedlam being the most important because I guess like last year could be elimination game of sorts. And it's, it's, it's the penultimate week of the season. So it, it, November 19th. So that I would probably, I guess, lean toward Bedlam just because I think those two teams are going to be in the mix and that that'll essentially decide which one of them ends up being in the, in the title game or has the, the leg up going into the final week to get into the title game. So, cause like I said, I, I think I feel pretty good about Baylor's chances. So, uh, so I, I look at Bedlam as that game. I think that Bedlam like one of the teams that comes from that game is going to be playing in the Big 12 championship game. I mean, we can feel pretty confident about that. And so, you know, whether it's the winner of that game or whether it's, you know, there's a chance that maybe the loser of that game could get in, but it probably is going to be a play-in game, uh, just like it was last year. And when the stakes are highest, man, it's a that's a crazy game. Especially now that we've opened up the idea that Oklahoma State can theoretically win the game. Yeah. No, that that is like you get over the, the the hump sort of mentally and emotionally. And then all of a sudden now you're just playing football. You don't have to worry about all the past. November 19th, Oklahoma State at Oklahoma. That one is in Norman. When we come back, we'll get to our last categories. Which team could play a spoiler role in the Big 12 this year? Which team that's not really a playoff contender right now in the Big 12 will be one in five years? And then we'll finally make our official playoff picks next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Douglas Maurice, make sure you're reading Shahan Jeharaja at CBSSports.com and make sure you are reading Sam Khan Jr. at The Athletic. Sam, who's the spoiler in the Big 12 this year? Eh, probably not a playoff team, but could screw up somebody else's playoff hopes. Texas Tech. I got, we, we talked about it early <laughs> in this show. I mentioned Zach Kitley in that offense. Boy, are you telling me you want to defend that offense? Uh, I, I don't think that's going to be a lot of fun. And, and Joey McGuire, obviously, a lot of energy. I call him a walking espresso shot. He, he, I think he's going to get that. He's got that fan base already fired, fired up. I think you're going to see that team play hard for him. But I also have to give some credit to the previous staff because I, I think McGuire and this coaching staff was left with a really good roster. They're in really good shape uh, at a lot of positions. They've got a deep, deep quarterback room. 
Uh, I, I think Tech is a team that probably will go back to a bowl and I think can probably, just because of what they can do offensively and they've got a veteran defensive staff and I, I like the pieces they have returning, I think they can really, really muck it up for somebody. And I think this is going to be the first year of them potentially actually building something long-term as opposed to you know the, the churn that they've had in the last, you know, decade post leech you know they had cliff for you know five six years and didn't work out and then they they went to wells and got rid of him two and a half years in i think joey has a chance to stay there a while and i think they have a chance to build something in lubbock so uh i I think this will be the first year of that and and when you have the talent at quarterback that they have and like i said they've got a lot of good talent returning in the secondary they've got some got some skill guys that we saw in that in that Liberty Bowl win over Mississippi State. A lot of those guys catching those passes were guys who are going to be back this year. So I think Tech is a, is a team to watch out as as somebody that could really muck it up for some people down the stretch. You expecting Tyler Shuck will be the starter at quarterback there or does Donovan Smith have a shot to work in? No, I think Donovan's got a shot and I, and I honestly wouldn't rule out Baron Morton either. He he looked of the 3 in the in their spring game, he looked the best. Uh and, and he's a young talent. He's the highest rated quarterback recruit they've ever signed at Texas Tech. So I wouldn't rule out any of them. Chuck, if if, I, if I'm placing a bet, yeah, I probably place a bet on Chuck just because of his experience and he he's seen it. He started before he's and he was off to a really solid start last year before he got hurt in that Texas game and and missed the rest of the season. So if I, if I put my money on somebody, I probably put on him. But I think it's not out of the question any of those three guys can start. And the thing that I'll mention, too, about Texas Tech is that they are positioned very nicely to be able to ruin somebody's day because they play Oklahoma the week after Bedlam. So mm. potentially and, and they're Last on the game road. of the year. Yep. Yeah. And Oklahoma's on the road, too, in that game. So potentially big emotional Bedlam win and then just completely trip over your feet against Joey McGuire and the boys. Uh, against Baylor, they they are the week right before Oklahoma, and Baylor also plays them on the road. And then for Oklahoma State, they play them right after playing Baylor. So like a lot of look aheads or let down spots uh, potentially for Texas Tech, which just feels perfect, right? Like that, that just feels like it's absolutely going to happen, and somebody's going to be cursing Lubbock to the sky <laughs> sometime <laughs> when they they cost them a playoff spot. Uh, I, I like that pick a whole lot. I think that that's one that could make a lot of sense. I feel like I'm going with Kansas State for every answer here, but <laughs> I'm going to go with Kansas State. So Baylor actually, uh, when I look at this November slate, I think that actually either Kansas State or TCU kind of fit into this boat because they've got at Oklahoma versus Kansas State versus TCU at te- uh, at uh, Texas. That's a pretty tough stretch just in terms of like emotional baggage that late in the year too. You're going to have obviously the playoff rankings and all that coming out. Uh, and I think that that could be a potential difficult spot. You know, Oklahoma, they have them on uh, the week right after Nebraska. Nebraska last year obviously wasn't a game that went the way that Oklahoma fans wanted. Uh, they did win the game, of course, at least. But uh, but I, I think that it could provide some difficulty. And Oklahoma State has them on the road on October 29th. So that's a team that I think could really cause some issues for some people. Uh, again, are they a spoiler? Are they more of a contender? I think that that's maybe getting into the semantics of it, whereas Texas Tech is like a true spoiler, right? They're, they're a team that's going to go up and get somebody. But uh, but I think that Kansas State is going to cause a lot of headaches, too. What about Iowa State? Is that is that somebody we could see in this role down the stretch, too? 
Dude, I, if you know anything to think about Iowa State at this point, then that makes one of us. Because <laughs> they are they are going to be such a confusing team. I like the quarterback that they're bringing in in Hunter Deckers. Uh, I think that he has a chance to be pretty good. They've got some receiver talent, which I like. But defensively, they lost like everybody from like like a bunch of fifth-year seniors too. It's... It's tough to know. Now, I think that you trust that Matt Campbell's built them up to the point where they're not going to like finish below 500, I don't think. But I don't know how good they can be, and I don't know what to expect of them. That, that's kind of my issue with them right now. I, it's in a different way. I kind of feel that way about TCU, too. I don't know what to expect from these teams so much because of the amount of turnover, uh, you know, obviously from TCU side, uh, from a coaching perspective, and then from Iowa State side, a player perspective, they're such unknowns to me. So I kind of feel like I'm just slotting them somewhere in that six to eight role and not sure what to expect. So I'll throw out another dark horse that we haven't talked about. West Virginia is going to start a guy at quarterback that a lot of people thought should have been the starting quarterback for the national champions last year. So can JT Daniels have like a game that messes somebody up West Virginia, a decade in the Big 12 so far, 44 and 45 in Big 12 play, have one double-digit win season since they came in the Big 12. They're good. They're fine. They're average. But can they jump up? Can they jump up and get Texas on October 1st or Oklahoma on uh, November 12th? Or they end the season at Oklahoma State. So, again, the quarterback situation in the league is a little unsettled. There are some dudes, though, who could have a great Saturday, right? I, I just see Adrian Martinez had 400 yards from scrimmage in this game. Oh, yeah, no, that's possible. I just see JT Daniels threw four touchdown passes in this game. I think they're, Sam, they're like, we've basically run through the whole league at this point. It's like, hey, there's the three teams at the top, and practically the other seven are all potential spoilers because everybody seems to have a little bit of an upside. Right. Maybe not consistently, but there's a lot of interesting. I can see how they can be good on a given Saturday. Yeah, no doubt. No, I think and I'm going to use my home state bias here is I'm sure USC fans have things that they want to say about Graham Harrell or whatever. I remember Graham Harrell, North Texas, when he tore it up as an offensive coordinator and (laughs) was a hot uh, coaching candidate. So I was very intrigued by that hire for. Uh, Neil Brown to add him to the staff at West Virginia. And I, I think him pairing with JT Daniels is really intriguing. I do think it has some upset potential uh, for some of these teams, no doubt. Uh, the other one that we haven't mentioned, and I don't think it's out of the realm to call them somebody who could spoil the season, but Kansas could be. I mean, let's not forget how close they were to ruining Oklahoma season last year. And they have really, really played hard under Lance Leipold. I think he's done a pretty solid job. And they, and they I think, Sometime this offseason, they had one of their guys, one of their best offensive players, Lawrence Arnold, hit the portal, and then they were able to get him to come back. And so to me, that that is evidence that there is some buy-in there in Lawrence, and and I think they're going to play hard enough, and no, they're not good enough that they're going to win probably enough to go to a bowl game, but certainly I think they're going to play hard enough, and if we saw some of the strides they made last year, I think it's not out of the realm possibility to say that they can steal an upset somewhere down the stretch. They're a real football team, right? Like that's the biggest compliment that you can give them right now is that they're not like some team trying to like figure out how to play football, right? Like they, they have a plan. And the funny thing, right? Like, cause I understand why they did the last two things that they did in terms of they hired two guys who were recruiters to try to rebuild their roster. And this time they just hired a football coach. And 
if there's one thing that I feel like I've learned from uh, from interviews with uh, with Dave Aranda, it's hey man, football's kind of just doing stuff together in a way that you could do it, and. I think that Kansas is doing such a better job of doing that, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Defense still work in progress, especially from a personnel perspective. But like you said, I mean, they were able to control games uh, for for stretches of time against Oklahoma, one of the better teams in the league. Uh, you know, they had a chance to win all three of their last games heading into this year once they switched to Jalen Daniels. They're a real football team, man. Like they they have a very legitimate shot of knocking somebody off. I, I think that they could be. I, I mean, for them to to win multiple conference games would be they haven't done that since 08, I believe. So just just doing that, I think, would be a huge step for this program. I would be remiss if if I didn't mention on the West Virginia front that Baylor goes to West Virginia, and those boys have had Baylor in hell in Morgantown every year that they've played there, dating back to the 70-63 game back in 2012. Uh, so Baylor hasn't beaten West Virginia in Morgantown since they moved to the league. Uh, so, so I think that that is potentially something. I, I just... I'm still trying to figure out whether this Neil Brown thing is working. I, I really don't know. You know, I, I think that they've been looking for a quarterback for so long. Uh, you know, now they've they've got it, right? They've got a guy, but I, I still don't know. They lost a lot of guys in the portal, which obviously Yeah. You know, like twenty get, guys. Like draw some draw some concern. Not the and I mean, a lot of other teams lost a lot of guys in the portal, but I think it was the impact some of those impact yeah, impact players. Uh, by the way, you, the way you said that, Shayhan, it made me think that that should be Lance Leipold's motto when he goes in an in-home visit when he's pitching a recruit. <laughs> Kansas, we're a real football team. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's 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 funny, man. Like they are they are legit. Like I think that. I, I again when I went on when, uh, when I went on my uh, my giant parade through the streets of Kansas radio, uh, I was asked <laughs> on uh, on the program, you know, like, oh, well, you know, with the twenty five counter rule being eliminated and with the transfers that that's they've huge got, for them, yeah. But, but they were like, should we should we like have more expectations sooner? And my answer is like, no, man, don't rush it, don't rush it, D- don't try to push them through the door, right? But like, this is going in a good direction. Again, um, you, you know, one of my one of my favorite uh, podcasts, Purple Theory. It's a TCU podcast. They they say the goal is for losing to Kansas not to become a meme, right? And for <laughs> Texas, it's always going to be a meme. It's, it's always going to be a meme for Texas. If Kansas could go twelve and zero, and if they beat Texas, it's going to be a meme. But everybody else, right? Like, I mean, and and they were getting close to it a couple years ago. Like, uh, like Texas Tech lost to Kansas in Matt Wells' first season, and like. It was embarrassing, but it wasn't a meme necessarily. And then they kind of progressed again. Now I think that they're at a point where they're going to give somebody hell and lose. And, you know, maybe then when they give somebody hell and beat them, it's embarrassing. It's Kansas, right? Like, I mean, it's every league has a team, you know, maybe not Kansas level, but like that. Uh, but I think that they're, if they can take the step to just being a bad team <laughs> instead of a like unplayable mishmash of football players, that's a huge step, and I absolutely think that they not only can do that, I think I can do more than that. That's not as good of a slogan. An unplayable <laughs> mishmash of, of football players. That's that's not as catchy. You're teetering on Charlie Weiss territory there, yeah. buddy. Come on, man. Oh, Less didn't do a whole lot better than that before he was unceremoniously let go. I like the we're a real football team recruiting pitch than, than unplayable mismatch of players. <laughs> Come on, man. That's that's a previous era, man. It's a new era. You're not getting invited back on the Sunflower State radio <laughs> stations right. now. <laughs> They're uh, listen, man. Uh, they Lance Leipold was a former Division three coach, 
And so he's seen a roster like what he took over before, and now he's ready to not be that. So then when we think about five years from now, who in the Big 12 will be a playoff contender that isn't a playoff contender right now? You guys are both saying Kansas? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> you guys are both locked in on that, the Jayhawks? That, that, that's a bridge too far. Yeah, when they, when they increase the playoff to 36, then we, we have a conversation. <laughs> um, no, well, I'll, I'll go first on that. So there are two teams to me that are in sort of a similar boat, and I feel like one of them is going to emerge on top, uh, and that's TCU and Texas Tech. Those two programs are going to be fighting a lot of the same battles in my mind. Uh, you know, I, I actually, you know, Texas Tech, obviously through the 2000s, was a borderline 10-win program for a lot of it. Um, and I think that TCU coming into the league really sort of put, like, closed the door on West Texas, right? Because TCU all of a sudden was getting the Dallas kids who were previously going to Texas Tech, and they were getting a lot of the West Texas kids because Fort Worth is really close to West Texas. And... I think now they're both emerging into a new era, and I love both their coaches, Sonny Dykes and Joey McGuire. I think they both know how to attack uh, sort of what they're up against. One of those two programs, I think, is going to have a chance to to wrest control away from the other. I would lean TCU because I just think the task is a little easier there, being in the Metroplex and what and the funding that they've had historically. But I mean, you know, look again, Texas Tech post last round of realignment has been a disaster but before that they were not right i mean sometimes realignment does uh, does crazy things um and, and i would not be surprised if joey mcguire is just the right guy to get them back into that conversation too you got sam can i pick a team that's not yet in the conference but will be yes you absolutely can and i was a little surprised that shahan didn't go there initially but yes they're they're coming Houston's already a contender, to be clear, so so I can't pick Not a playoff contender, they're not. Cincinnati is because Cincinnati made the playoff, but Houston is not, in my opinion, a playoff contender at this point, but I think in five years they could very well be. I, I think they are the team. Like, Cincinnati's already there. BYU, I think we we know what, what they can do. We've seen what UCF has done. But I think of the teams coming into that conference, I think Houston has the highest ceiling because of their location uh, and, and the – the stability, the the spending, they've, they've been willing to spend like a Power 5 program even before getting there. Uh, they've got a stable staff. You know, Dana Holgerson's not going anywhere. He loves it in Houston because he can do whatever he wants and nobody cares because it's a city with 6 million plus people in the metro area. Nobody's taking cell phone pictures of him like they would in Morgantown because uh, he can, so he can do whatever he wants and be the social butterfly that he wants to be. So uh, he's not going anywhere. And they're, they're beef, they've beefed up their recruiting staff. They've beefed up facilities. They've beefed up, you know, gave Doug Belk. They made Doug Belk a million-dollar coordinator. I When Kevin Sumlin got the job in Houston in 2008, he was making like $700,000 a year. Now they're giving the coordinator a million dollars in Houston, which is wild for me to consider. So all that to say is they have the institutional want to there. And they've done a good job generally of talent acquisition, whether it's in recruiting or in the portal. I think they've done a really good job in the portal. And when you give them, when you put them on the same playing field with Baylor and TCU and Texas Tech, I think that's only going to give them a chance to be a top 25 program consistently as long as they continue that stability in the administration and the coaching staff. That said, if I'm picking a current team, I agree with Shehan. It's either Tech or TCU. And I would probably lean TCU right now just because I think the infrastructure they have there, again, from a facility standpoint, from a donor standpoint, they, they're they not hurting for anything financially. That that You walk around that place, it's 
it's really nice. They, they've and they've got a lot of advantages both from recruiting location uh, and then a, a coaching staff that has done well in that area already. Has also like like the, I said with Houston, done well in the portal, done well in recruiting. Uh, certainly, you, you wish Rashad Samples was there, but you know he. he I, I don't know how long he was going to be able to stay on that staff because he was going to get a job somewhere because he's he's that good. But yeah, I think I think of those two that Shahan bounced back and forth. I think I'll probably lean TCU, and TCU is again a team that flirted with the playoff once upon a time in the Gary Patterson era. So uh, I, I think of the current teams, I would pick TCU as that team. Yeah, and and I will mention I, I very seriously consider Houston to be a team that could enter the playoff conversation this year like you know what obviously on this show we pull 12 teams together that we consider contenders I think we're absolutely going to have a conversation about Houston they have a chance to be 2022 Cincinnati but if we're not counting them in that conversation yet I mean Houston Houston fans will tell you, and there is some truth to it, that the reason that they didn't get into the Big 12 was because everybody was scared of what they would do if, when they would get there. <laughs> and and that's, that's obviously some talk, but there's also something to it. I mean, Houston has a lot of advantages from a, uh, like you mentioned, a recruiting standpoint, from a, uh, from a branding standpoint. They've got a big alumni base. Like, they are a program in uh, you know in in a place where football is king and i think that absolutely when they move to the big 12 they're gonna it's gonna be i think uh, one of the dynamics is gonna be the most fun to watch over the next 10 years is going to be out of these new big 12 teams right they're gonna be four uh four texas programs in the big 12 and you almost consider oklahoma state also a, a texas program in a lot of ways with the way that they recruit which one of these programs emerges? Which one of these programs doesn't? I mean, I think that I think that it is a little bit of a zero-sum game. I, I don't think all of them can be good at the same time. And so, you know, in the last round of realignment, it was Baylor who kind of moved up uh, after after 2012 and Texas Tech who went down. It doesn't have to be like that now heading into 2024, 2025. I think Houston's a lock to be good. I think Baylor's a really good chance to be good. And from there, it's going to be really interesting. I think it's going to depend some on one, which player, which coaches and, uh, and uh, staff are there, and two, which programs are really willing to invest to make sure that they stay at the highest level. Obviously, Cincinnati's coming off a playoff appearance, but you could make, I think, a case for all four teams joining the Big 12 that f- five years from now, you can see the path for Cincinnati, BYU, Central Florida, and Houston, how they all could be that kind of team. I said UCF just because they've been good and we don't know what Central Florida in a Power 5 conference looks like. If there's an opening in the state of Florida, maybe Billy Napier and Mario Cristobal are going to close that opening a little bit, but they've been rabble-rousing down there for a while. Gus Malzahn's been around the block. He knows how to do this. Like they're just, we don't know. We don't, we don't know what Luke Fickle and Cincinnati are recruiting really well right now. We don't know what they're going to look like in the Big 12, but all those programs could elevate. And it's just, it's crazy to think about. The Big 12 loses Texas and Oklahoma. They add these four teams. Listen, we get it. They added some good programs. <laughs> they did. They, they feel healthy. We are not like, how, oh, well, there's nobody, everybody. Like, there, there are interesting programs and interesting football to be played in the Big 12 now and in the future with the way they responded to all this. And, and Doug, I have to ask you, because uh, Sam, you might know the answer to this question. Doug, do you know how many students UCF has? Uh, many. Lots, right? Close to 70,000, no? 70,400. Wow. Yeah. So wow. they are, Texas A&M, I believe, is the biggest and they're second. So, like... They're a very new school, so they don't have like the huge alumni base as yet. But if you're making a 50 year bet, 
I mean, that's a heck of a bet if you're if you are bringing in UCF. I think you're right. I mean, you are bringing in four programs that have all been borderline New Year's Six type teams in the past five years. I mean, you know, look, we're we're, we're obviously, uh, you know, the Big 12 is not going to be uh, able to replace a program like Oklahoma and what they've done. You know, Texas has historically at some point been a championship caliber program. I don't know if any of these 12 teams can win a national championship, but there are several of them that I think could compete for the college football playoffs, several of them that will be top 10 teams. And I mean, that's that's a good place to start. And by the way, we didn't even talk about basketball where the Big 12 unquestionably just got a whole it's lot a fo- better. It's a football pod. It's a, it's a football is, pod. That's why we didn't talk. About. Don't ask. Oh, why didn't we talk about basketball? It's a football podcast. <laughs> we didn't talk about swimming either. My God, we only have an hour and 15 I gotta minutes. I got to brush up on my hoops because the Final Four is coming to Houston next year. So <laughs> I got to get I got to get brushed up on that. Well, well, the, again, you know, I, I don't really, you know, when, when you're covering college football like this, obviously, you know, you, you don't really support teams the same way. It's just like, you, be, you know, you get to know staffs and all that. It's not the same. Uh, that is not true with college basketball. So we will see you down there. Sick him. College basketball survivor <laughs> show. It's a spinoff. We'll get to that. Next. Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll have a list of 120 teams that we have to pare down to 68. That's what we'll do all year round. Welcome back to the College of Cross for Survivor Show. Oh, welcome back to the College Fencing Survivor I'll, I'll Show. Softball. I'll do softball. I'll do softball. We can do softball. Who's going to make it? Final category: Which Big 12 team will actually make the playoff this year, if any? I will just say I'm going to say nobody's going to make it, and that's almost a sign of respect. Because I think, as Sam, you said, there's like a top three, and then there's like three or four or five other teams that feel like are good enough to beat a good team on a Saturday. I just think it's, it might be too much parity. Nobody's Bama. And if there's only four playoff spots, that's not a great equation. It's not a reflection, I would say. It's not like, oh, the Big 12 stinks. They're not getting a playoff team in. It's like the Big 12's too equal and too solid, and I'm not sure they're getting a playoff team in. So my pick is, as of now, it's June, change. No Big 12 team in the playoff. Shahan, what do you think? Yeah, I think that they're going to – actually, I would say that I think that the Big 12 is going to look a whole lot like last year, where you have two top 10 teams, both of whom are borderline playoff teams, but neither who really, really had a shot to get into the field, I would argue. And and I think that that's probably just about where the Big 12 is going to be this upcoming year. I think that it, it, they're probably going to have two top 10 teams, probably another top 15, probably another top 20. Uh, it's going to be, I think, a good year for the conference. But I, I don't see a team getting over that threshold. Yeah, I hate to say it. I think, it, like I said, I'm going to go back to what I said at the start, is if there is a team that makes it, I think it's going to be Baylor. But I... I just don't think there's going to be a team that does make it. I, I Shehan, I went to not to your former employer. I went to pull up my writer's poll answers from Dave Campbell's Texas football of the four playoff teams. And I did not put a big 12 team in that group. So I, I would agree with you guys. I just don't, I just don't think it's going to happen this year, but that said, I, I like you, Shehan. I think you'll end up in a similar situation as you had last year where you have a couple teams in the top 10 or maybe the top eight going into the final weekend. And Hey, if you get some chaos, uh, at the top and championship weekend, then maybe you can sneak yourself in. But but if I'm picking a day, yeah, I'm, I, I would guess that no Big 12 team will make it. And actually, I'll, I'll correct myself. There will be five top 15 teams in the Big 12 because both BYU and Houston will also be in the top 15. <laughs> <laughs> it is going to be the Big 12 taking over the world. and uh, but But without winning anything, to be clear, without winning a single thing. <laughs> 
And what if like Nebraska's good? That's a Big Twelve team, right? I mean, like this claim everybody. Hey. All right, all right. This this is just making stuff up at this point. Nebraska being good, past, present, and future Big Twelve teams. I, I will say I'm going to be very curious to watch that Oklahoma Nebraska game because Oklahoma very nearly lost it last year, and this will be their first real football game with this staff and they're going on the road to a place that could not be more excited to be playing them. And, and Nebraska is going to be a, a pretty fundamentally different team with the amount of transfers that they brought in. I don't even think like Oklahoma is a better team than Nebraska, but that is a very dangerous spot. I think for them in week three with the Texas quarterback in Casey Thompson, probably running the <laughs> <Yeah>. show that <laughs> he finally wants to get the win. <laughs> we did not talk about that, that Oklahoma Nebraska game that again, Nebraska thinks it's better than it, than its record a year ago. If Nebraska is going to be for real, that that is a game that they could maybe jump up and get Oklahoma. In that I, I sure hope that they're better. That they think that they're better than three and nine to be. No, honest. but they said that the whole thing is Nebraska lost every game by seven points, so they're like, "Oh, we're only twenty points away from being ten and two. It's like you're three and nine. <laughs> you're three and nine. Um, all right, Sam. Thank you so much for joining us here. For the good people who think, "Oh, that guy's." smart definitely smarter than the people on this podcast normally where can the people follow your work follow you on twitter how can they stay in touch sam theathletic.com go to our college football page obviously i produce a lot of texas centric content there uh on twitter at scon junior s-k-h-a-n-j-r i have my link uh to all my stories is there and and usually posts and random uh, observations as they come to my brain which are not always smart but uh but that's that's where you'll find all my stuff appreciate you guys having me and Shahan, you can read him at CBS Sports. And again, my favorite thing is to reference Shahan on the podcast when I research things and Shahan is writing the thing that I'm researching to check Shahan's facts. It's a loop. It is I, It is a grift. I'm pretty sure that Shahan has a master plan that's going to take me down eventually. But for now, just go read his stuff. We'll see what happens. Thanks to you guys for joining us here on the College Football Survivor Show. Next week, SEC preview. Week after that. Pac-12 preview. If you missed the Big Ten and ACC previews, make sure you go back and listen to those. And don't forget uh, our Apple Podcast show this week. That's for the Apple Podcast subscribers. Four shows a month, two ninety nine. It's a pretty good deal. You subscribe an Apple Podcast. We did the Top Gun test. Which programs have changed the most since nineteen eighty six? Are you a Top Gun program, which means you were good in eighty six? Are you a Maverick program, which means you're better in twenty twenty two? Shahan and I did a draft of those teams. For now. For Sam Khan Jr., for Shahan Jaharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line.